to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome back once again to the Built on Air podcast. We are in season 15, episode three, coming to you live on a Tuesday. Good to be with you. We've got a full house with us again, myself, Ali and Camille, as always, and special guest, Rob. Welcome, Rob. Hello. (laughs) Good to have you on. So we're going to learn Rob's new to the show. So we're going to learn his story and background, and then he's going to share some stuff. So I'll walk through what we're going to be talking about today. We always do four different segments to keep you up to date, starting with our round the bases with what's going on in the Airtable communities. Then a quick uh, shout out to our primary sponsor on to air. Then we're going to learn more about Rob and his story and how he came into the world of Airtable. And then Rob's going to showcase uh, the back end to an e-commerce store that, that he built called Film Gear South Africa. And then a quick um, shout out to join our community at Built on Air. And then finally, Ali's going to walk us through dealing with fields in synced tables. Mm-hmm. So with that, do around the bases. So there's definitely a lot of continued discussion around um, the interface design changes. I know that's an ongoing dialogue in many different communities. Um, To kind of summarize the latest, we talked about it last week of pretty big changes. Camille walked through in more granular detail some of those changes. Um, But this week we we did get a response from Airtable. So I thought this was worth sharing. Phil, an employee at Airtable, basically goes through and says, yes, we heard you. Yes, we could have launched it better. Um, Gives a little bit of the new functionality overview and some foundations. Um, So it gives a little bit of insight talking about how it could work across different devices, which is what we kind of alluded to with mobile, but also PDF is interesting. So being able to export, that's kind of a little bit of tidbit there. Thoughts on uh, his, his comments or just this topic in general? So, you know, I appreciate the sort of public response because sometimes Airtable will make a change and we'll have some 
criticisms or feedback and it's like radio silence. So, you know, it's nice to, you know, have someone and Phil specifically is from the product team. So somebody is actively working on the feature being discussed rather than being just sort of a community liaison. It's just sort of nice to see their reasoning behind doing changes like this because from an architectural standpoint of how Airtable is built, if you want things like PDF export, exportable, exportability, I'm not sure that's a word, but if you want to be able to export a clean PDF out of um, the old interfaces, that would have been really difficult for them to do. And so somewhere along the line, either someone said, I really need to be able to print, or they decided that for themselves, that's a direction they wanted to go. And in order to do that, they had to make this change. He also sort of acknowledges that, hey, maybe we should have given some advanced, some advanced warning because, you know, this is an active product. It's not in beta anymore. So Interface Designer was in beta for like a full two years. It's no longer marked as beta. So I don't give it nearly as much leeway as I used to for sudden changes that impact what you're able to do. We have a better insight into where they're going, but, you know, there's still these things that uh, myself and others have pointed out that really should be addressed for it to be usable in its current state, as well as in the future state when they have all these things that they're trying to set up. Yeah. Yeah, this is, um, you know, I feel like this, we hear the feedback loud and clear and we'll learn from it with future releases. I feel like we've heard that before. <laughs> we have heard that before, which is why many people are frustrated, Kavan and I specifically. But in a different thread, um, someone said they had spoken to Phil directly. Uh, they had filled out that share your feedback form thing that appears at the bottom of the interface designer and Phil reached out based on the feedback they provided. So it does feel a little bit different in this particular instance because outside of just posting his sort of general response to this popular thread, he did apparently reach out to at least one person specifically to ask for, you know, why do you think this way? And what about this feature that you pointed out in your feedback, et cetera? So A, they apparently are reading that feature feedback form. So fill it out if you have comments. <laughs> and and B, sometimes, um, you know, they're reaching out specifically to get clarifying information, which they may or may not use. One would hope may, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and, and Kavan addresses this, um, <clears throat> you know, the fact that you're now in limbo, you have some that, that work with the old way and even within the same. Um, is it even if you create just a new uh, page within an interface, you can't use the old one? Is that how Correct. it works? Correct. So, yeah, so I, I said this last week, interface, but yeah, it, it would have been preferred if it was a brand new interface and its detail pages within it, those are the new system, whereas old interfaces and their detail pages are the old system. You have a mix of both within the same yeah. interface environment, which is, you know, to me, poor planning because it is a different experience. You can handle right. some use cases, but not all. Yeah. Yeah. And theoretically, they are rolling these things out in uh, like versions as well. 
So, I don't know, in traditional development, it would be nice to kind of see or at least have the ability to almost choose which version right. uh, or, or maybe as like at a certain level, be able to choose which version of Airtable you wanted to use um, yeah. or, or make the jump when you knew that something was in a stable version um, or stable for you in your use case. Yeah. Yeah, especially because they're still supporting the old one, so it's still there. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if the, uh, the if if you're not happy about this, definitely give them feedback. Um, hopefully they'll they'll listen and and um, we'll see what what comes from this. I I mean I think everybody could get on board with kind of the the direction of making it you know more mobile friendly supporting different um but i also think and, and even if you if they said that uh we needed to kind of take two steps or one step back to take two steps forward but they are going to add back that functionality because i think you could still incorporate some of the things they took away even within this new um mm -hmm. section thing that they introduced so we'll see if they add it back yeah a lot a lot of functionality isn't necessarily gone. It's not in the way you would want. Some is gone. I keep mentioning charts because I want to put a chart on the interface. I'm currently building it. I can't do so. Yeah. That's a feature that is gone, but you yeah. can still put things side by side. It's not in the way that I would want, but it's there, you know? Yeah. So like to your point, Dan, I do, I, I think generally I like the direction, but execution in its current state, there are things that I simply can't ship until they're fixed or at least adjusted so that, you know, uh, work for whatever interface I was trying to build two weeks ago, but didn't finish before the launch. So, <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, I'm super excited about a lot of little things that they rolled out with this update, like the ability to add new records and access a little mm -hmm. form. Like that's huge. Like that yeah. previously the, forms I never used the forms at all because there was no mm -hmm. good way to access them like you could either put them on a page by themselves or through a record picker which to me was never useful mm -hmm. uh, so I'm really excited about those things but little things like like you said the charts and then the text like not being able to put text wherever you want it that's that's <laughs> huge to me. like that I need that back <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I struggle with the conditional visibility as well. Some things you can do conditional visibility of and some things you mm -hmm. can't. Mm -hmm. And I get yeah. confused because it's like, I don't want to show this right now, but I know that I, I had the ability at one point to be able to, to not show things. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Want that across mm -hmm. the board, conditional visibility across yeah. all, all interface elements would be amazing. Yeah. That would well, now that sections are formalized, to me, you should be able to say, show this section if, right. you know, it's a clearly yeah. defined portion of the page and in CSS, you could just do remove or yeah. hide <laughs> or visibility <laughs> equals false. Like that's a thing you can do. Yeah. So I see that the, the infrastructure that they've set up kind of allows for all of a lot of things that I have wanted previously, some of which are in this update, some of which are not things like section-based conditional visibility really would be like, that would be another major win if they lump that into the, the fixes for some of the stuff we've pointed out. 
you know, put text anywhere, put a button anywhere, and conditional section visibility, I think everyone would be happy. But until that <laughs> happens, you know, you're going to get a mixed feedback. Fair enough. So anyways, yeah, there's really good uh, dialogue here. If you want to read more about the latest, what's going on, that's a good thread to follow. All right, moving on, we'll go to the um, the uh, built-on air community. This is a, a post from Ben Bailey. You know, what really grinds my gears, the fact that linked record fields search functionality only looks at the key field. Mm -hmm. And this triggered um, discussion. So you talk about, um, but then he says, I think the record detail update last week might have fixed this in certain context. And then posted um, that they pushed the update. And so one of the updates that also another undocumented update is that you can search in linked record elements within interfaces. Yeah, so that, it, it, that's a quality of life improvement um, that, is useful. So normally when you have that like little record card, there's a couple other fields that are visible underneath whatever the name of the record is. If you type in words that appear in any of those other fields, it will show up as a result um, while you're searching now, which is very useful. I haven't tested in every place that that sort of search box comes up, but it does happen in at least some portions of the product and it does make finding things a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. It was actually a two part. He then posted it in a different channel um, in the in the tricks of it being um, available and then some interesting discussion. If you like talking about history of databases, Bill French is always good for a history lesson. So you can uh, learn more about how search evolved over the years in databases. Love it. Yeah. Okay, next one. Um, this one I thought was was worth discussion. Um, Carlston asked, uh, I wish comments was its own field type so a record could essentially have multiple comment fields. So thoughts on that as well as ideas or strategies and dealing with comments maybe outside of just the, the normal comment section. And you could use, I mean, as Kavan says, you could have a long text field because that does, you can still at people in a long text field and it'll still notify them. Um, I prefer to, I mean, depending on, you know, how in-depth the use case is, I might actually have a whole table of comments where each mm. comment is a new record. So that way they're all timestamped and you have a created by a field and stuff like that. Cause then you have a lot more flexibility on how to display those and which ones to display on the record that you're looking at. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of little workarounds and tricks. That's, especially, that's probably my preferred workaround. Yeah. Especially if you're doing it inside an interface, I think it works. That that approach works nicely in interfaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Rob. I had a situation uh, this week actually with this specifically changing comments to a long text field, but I had uh, a trigger, an Airtable triggering an automation based on when fields were updated. So essentially, when someone updated uh, a comment i noticed that it was updating like every single character that they were <laughs> they were mm -hmm. typing um, as opposed to just when they've submitted their comments so if anyone does that 
do not put an automation that runs on when that uh, comment field gets updated because mm-hmm. you will be getting yeah. a lot of. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the hack for that would be to have like the comment long text field that is locked and that can only be modified via automation, and then a separate one that's like your prompt or like it, looking at Slack where that reply box is. That's mm-hmm. a separate long text field, and then there's a button that says you know, post comment yeah. or whatever, yeah. and it appends it. But that, now you have three fields <laughs> or two fields and a button, depending on how you set it up. So it's like, you know, there's pros and cons. Back before the comment API was um, a thing, mm. you would have had to do one of these types of workarounds. I still don't know how good the comment API is, but at least it's, it's something. <laughs> But Dan Chickens had no, so to me that says, you know, it's not, it doesn't give you the level of detail that you would need to like really use it I, anywhere outside of Airtable. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. My biggest frustration is that you you can only get the comments by querying a record. They mm-hmm. don't have like a comments mm-hmm. endpoint that gives you like all the comments of a table. Yeah. Oh, so man. depending on what you're doing, it might be okay, but you you, you need to check each record for its comments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a discussion the other day. I can't remember. It was with a colleague that was used to an older database platform, and I can't remember exactly which da- database platform it was. But I was explaining explaining to him why we couldn't use a particular automation to do what he wanted to do because Airtable commits values on keystroke, as Rob was just talking about. And he was like, well, in this older database program I had, it didn't commit values until you had a carriage return. And I was like, well, that would be kind of interesting if you had the ability to like toggle, which one mm. actually did it. Um, Cause that would save a lot of hassle. I think uh-huh. um, you wouldn't have to do what you was just saying. Yes. But yeah. That's a long wish list. Yeah. Yeah. What my work on has been a, like a helper field. So I, fields that's a, a last modified timed field that's essentially like a helper field that conditionally filters out those update triggers so it just says if it's more than a minute or if more than a minute's gone by um on that uh, on that field right. then send it as opposed to um if it's less than a minute from the last update or from the last modified Certainly. don't yep. do anything mm-hmm. yep very good all right, let's move on. Going to uh, Reddit. Um, this is our obligatory every quarter or so. We uh, highlight somebody frustrated with the outages. We had an outage. I think was it? I think it was Tuesday. So right after the the show that afternoon, I think. Yeah. Maybe it was Wednesday. There were two. Um, this week, I think. Yeah, yeah. Was there two? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. one was sort of a more system-wide one and one was specifically an Airtable outage and it's like either way they're deeply annoying because you got to explain to your client like sorry we, we can do literally nothing right now for the next 10 minutes an hour who knows mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so it happens yeah it's frustrating um so yeah people frustrated about that but uh it's getting better. Those of us that have been around a few years, you yeah. see a lot worse. <laughs> it is getting better. I do wish 
you know, the, the top comment is Airtable is powerful and outages are rare in the story. They are relatively rare, I would say. They're not like constant. However, there's things like when your automations fail, there's not a great way to sort of go back to the period of when there was an outage and sort of redo the stuff that messed up. Yeah. So it's there's some there's some work that could be done that would make feeling these outages less, you know, um, cumbersome, especially if you're new to Airtable because you don't know how how often this is going to be your life. So just sort of, you know, I can empathize with someone brand new and mm -hmm. very suddenly things stop working. Yeah, absolutely. I have noticed I feel like they're getting faster on actually publishing on their status updates. Like if you go to status.airtable.com, it used to be like 20 minutes would go by with service unavailable before you'd see an incident actually posted. But now I'm seeing that happen pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I also subscribe to them in a Slack channel, which is really helpful. Um, yeah. I would highly recommend that if you're using Airtable a lot or have clients with it. Yeah, yeah that's good. All right, one more from uh, Reddit. This is um, <clears throat> this is uh, highlighting another low-code, no-code builder on top of Airtable. So if you're looking for another place for building a portal, this is one that, that I hadn't seen before. Let me click on it. Blaze. Blaze.tech is the site. And um, they support Airtable. And so I haven't tried it. Just throwing it out there. If anybody's tried this and wants to do a demo of it, we'd love to see it. We like to explore these different tools built on Airtable. Um, but this is one that's been around not not too long ago, but companies based in uh, LA, I believe. And um, looks interesting. And it says it's HIPAA compliant, so that might be that might be a selling point for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So they've already got AI built into it for a visual creator. AI is the new SEO keyword. <laughs> you do not have AI on your website. Yeah, it, is, it has now, like, I associate it with the, like, Web 2.0. Back when, like, everything had to describe itself as Web 2.0. I just yeah. filtered it out of my brain whenever I saw it now. Unless you're, like, changing the world with your AI, I just, I stopped. Yeah. It, it's, I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. I do love also tools that have been, like, doing something for the last, I don't know, five years. That has been, like, some, I'm trying to think of an example, but they're, you know, doing some great feature that is, like, a core part of their product. And they literally just rename it AI now. It's, it's like, well, nothing has changed at all. You just, yeah. you know, you're just, you've literally just renamed it. Yeah. yeah. There's, uh, there's a couple of different um, companies that I follow that make technology for architecture and urban planning that sort of uh, the general concept is generative design where you feed it a couple inputs and it will programmatically build a 3D model of a building or a series of buildings. And that's AI. And it's, you know, a field that's been there for many, many years now. But now when I look at it, I'm like, it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So somebody check it out and let us know what you think. Um, it, it connects with a lot of different data sources. So yeah. it's, it's 
got a pretty mm. big integration. So if you're using data from different systems, this might be a good tool to bring them all together. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on to table forums. This was a good discussion um, from uh, Mecca talking about keeping sync tables updated in the background. So mm. he says he has a, a base that he uses for reporting at syncs tables from other bases and automations run. It appears that the data syncs are not triggered before the reporting automations are triggered. So the reports are sending out stale data. I believe Airtable pushes the syncs when a base is used regularly by humans, but not sure if the same is true for automations. How to keep sync tables updated in the background. So this yeah. is true, right? You want to talk about it, Ali? Yeah, this is actually something I had discovered a while back and I posted about it in the Airtable community and Scott and I kind of had a back and forth. Um, and then Airtable actually updated their um, support documentation based on that conversation because previously it just said it updated every five minutes. Nothing like no ifs, ands, or buts. It was like every five minutes it gets updated. But similar to what um, this user was saying, Park West Digital, I had a report set up in a synced base and it was going out with incomplete data every night. Um, so I noticed after putting like last updated or created time field in the base, I was able to deduce that it was getting, everything was getting added after that report ran. So like the report would run and then the new records would come in because that automation woke up the base essentially to get it to sync again. So my workaround for this has been, I put in an automation that runs at a scheduled time. So every 15 minutes so that it just finds a record, doesn't do anything with it. It just, on a scheduled time, it goes and finds a record on a table and that actually helps it to keep syncing. So now it's not every five minutes, but it is every 15 minutes. Um, and I just make sure that my report that gets sent out is after that. Um, interval yeah 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 and even with the they did make it more they improved the the syncing functionality right now to it's where it's almost instant or supposed to be but that's that this still holds even like mm -hmm. it has to be touched yeah you have to go into the base if you're not opening the base or an automation is not running on a schedule then nothing's going to get updated um and if you can tell that if you have the dependencies on um, which is easier for enterprise. But like, if you look at a field that's being synced to another base, it'll say when the last time it was synced was. And in many cases, I can see something that's like last synced 365 days ago, because nothing's actually been going into that base to open it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, be aware of that. If you're doing any kind of syncing, um, something you need to account for. Right. All right, last one, then we'll move on. We'll go to, apparently we have a new social media platform called X. <laughs> and, it says Twitter uh, in the domain. It says Twitter in the search bar. <laughs> it still says tweet as the back button. I refuse, Elon Musk. Yeah. You can't make me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but... Um, there's still people talking, so if there's valuable stuff there, we'll share it. Um, so this comes from Mark uh, Cardona, um, who, who puts out a lot of good stuff. And if you're looking for a script, um, 
that helps look at your database. He provides a, a free script. You, you simply copy this and, and paste it into a script and it will give you details on all of the tables, all of the fields, the descriptions there. So if you just want a way to just display everything in, um, in there, it will, it will do that for you. It looks like it also gets into some of the records and, and um, displays all the record information as well. Great. So what is, actually, I'm not familiar with this one, output.inspect. It's just yeah. another way. Of, it's console.log, but looks prettier. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it's better for formatting things that are like objects or um, arrays. It'll allow you to expand things out a little bit differently. Right, right. Okay. But for a string like this, it's probably not any different. No. <laughs> I, I think that's just a formatting preference. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I'm not, I haven't been using that one to use that, but uh, yeah, anyway, so here it shows a, a quick video of what it would look like and help you. So if you want something like that, there's a, there is a free script there on Twitter to find or on X, excuse me. No, no, you've got it right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's move on. That wraps up our round the bases. Next we'll Give a quick um, highlight on OntoAir, the all-in-one toolkit to run your business on Airtable. If your business is dependent on Airtable, you should check out OntoAir. And we are continuing our spotlight on backups this month. Well, last month was backup awareness. Since we were off last month, we're doing it this month. So make sure you are backing up your data. Best practice says to have your data backed up in more than one location. So Airtable does back up your data internally, but for best practices, it's recommended to also have it stored somewhere else. That's where OntoAir Backups comes in. It helps you save it to your own storage within your own Google Drive account, your own Dropbox or your own Box account. So check it out, ontoair.com slash backups. Gives you all the information and use cases and highlights on happy customers using backups. Okay, Rob, let's meet Rob. Go for it, Camille. Hi, Rob. Hello, Camille. So I could be misremembering, but I believe this is technically your second time on the podcast because at Daretable, we had a mini session where we brought in multiple people in from the floor and you were also in attendance at Daretable earlier this year in San Francisco. That is correct. That is correct. So this is, that was my mini appearance. This is my first <laughs> primary. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> so for the people who haven't seen that episode, um, why don't you tell us how you got started in Airtable um, and, you know, maybe throw in why you went to Daretable. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I uh, kind of going back to 2014 um, i had moved to south africa from chicago um, i'd been there before for work and then made the decision to move there um, for work and lifestyle reasons uh, at the time i was working in the film industry as a cinematographer and so um, the industry there is very seasonal in that um, it's there's a lot of work in the summer and then in the winter there's basically no work. Um, so I first got there uh, in the middle of summer, got on a, a project, and then uh, it was great to get on that project, but I basically meant that I didn't 
network with anyone uh, for the majority of the time that people were working. So then it quickly got to winter time and I didn't have anything to do. Um, and I wasn't really ready for that. Uh, so I um, knew that um, I, had a, I have a computer science background actually, uh, educational background. And so I um, was looking to buy some equipment for myself and I was kind of asking around to figure out um, where I could uh, buy equipment from. At the time, 2014, uh, you know, Amazon was very much at its prime of uh, e-commerce uh, in America. And there were some other um, websites uh, for the film industry or for the professional film and photography industry here in America. That was kind of a big marketplace for a whole bunch of equipment. But in South Africa, uh, there was nothing like that. And so it's very much, you kind of had to know someone who had some stuff and then you need to know someone else who had some stuff. And so it meant that you were just spending days just trying to buy three or four things um, because they were very, very specialized and very expensive things. So uh, that winter was kind of, um, I decided, well, no one else has made a better solution. Um, maybe I can make a better solution here. So uh, that was the birth of uh, Film Gear South Africa. Um, someone else had the domain name at the time, and I uh, went and did some digging to figure out who had the domain name. No one did. I didn't have any money for SEO or anything like that. So Film Gear seemed like a good uh, domain name to get. And uh, so I basically said, I'll figure out a way to get you some batteries at a good deal if you give me the domain name and so uh, i think i did and, um so film gear was born uh so i basically just used my relationships that i already had in the film industry with manufacturers and different brands and said hey i'd love to represent and get your your products into africa um essentially more easily um and avoid this whole kind of know a guy know a guy know a guy uh situation and so um, it was a very simple concept of, uh, I'll just sell stuff online and that'll be a good way to, um, to kind of supplement my, my work. And it turned out to be um, a behemoth, uh, that is still in existence today. So, um, Ain't that the can... way it goes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So simple. Such a simple idea. Yeah. And just sell some stuff. Uh, yeah, it's been an incredible journey so far. Um, but that was kind of my, my, where I started in, uh, Airtable and automations, um, et cetera. I kind of said, well, I've got a computer science background and I can, surely I can figure this one out. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so I can kind of run you guys through a little bit uh, of the store and some of the, the inner workings and the trials and tribulations of how Film Gear South Africa works. Um, yeah, sure. Because uh, that's a very specialized, you know, field just in general and the types of equipment you know stores are typically built in similar ways no matter what the product is however there are certain particulars depending on you know the field that you're in maybe you're, you're selling bundles of products that are all related mm -hmm. or maybe you need to display what parts go along with certain equipment like i imagine with cameras you might want to have different options for like the lens type that might come with it so, For sure. you know, I can see how, although building an e-commerce store isn't, you know, it, a lot of people make them when you start off with one that is so specialized for a very specific 
sort of use case, I can see how that might run into a couple of, you know, I'll say issues that most people will get to eventually, but you haven't gotten there a little bit earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's in the e-commerce space, there's kind of three different types of e-commerce stores that they talk about. There's like a landing page store, which is you sell one thing and that's what you sell and, and everything drives to that one product. Um, and then there's, you know, a specific manufacturer and you know, that manufacturer represents all the items that they, um, that they buy, but it's very specific to one specific thing. And then there's the marketplaces. And um, so I, it would have been nice to sell one thing, um, but instead I went about it and uh, didn't realize what I was getting myself into. But the value comes from marketplaces when you have as many things as possible in that marketplace. Um, so it, it quickly, what started as just one or two brands, definitely realized that the value is having, as you were saying, more brands to complement things. Because if you were to look at like a traditional film camera, and look at it behind the scenes and see what it looks like. It's got, you know, so many cables and monitors and lenses yeah. and accessories on it. Uh, and it's all very personal to personal, you know, personal preferences and all that stuff. So, um, yeah. Well, let's, let's take a look. Cool. Sweet. Okay, there we go. All right. So yeah, so this is essentially, uh, this is from your South Africa right now. Um, so uh, we sell everything from drones to lights, cameras, etc. Um, the kind of store that I was talking about that sells a lot of similar things is B&H Photo in New York. Um, and they were originally uh, a catalog store. So, you know, you would, um, you would get a, an actual mail order catalog with all these things. It was hundreds of pages long. And then you'd phone in the order to a uh, warehouse in New York. Um, they then evolved into an e-commerce store as well. Um, so this has kind of always been our, our, you know, let's see how we can make it look like B&H without copying or anything like that. Um, so um, we feel like we do a pretty good job. Um, and one of the big issues that we uh, realized was everything that we were selling um, is essentially in uh, South African Rand price, um, not mm -hmm. any sort of US dollar price. So that very quickly um, was one of the main reasons why I needed to have a repository of information of all these different products and um, information about how much it weighs, what the shipping costs are, um, because as you can see here, this is an all-in, including VAT duties um, uh, cost. So another one of the issues that people were experiencing with going to the mom and pop or the, you know, not mom and pop, but uh, kind of getting products from all over the place is sometimes those prices included tax. Sometimes they didn't include tax. Sometimes they didn't include duties. And so you would order something uh, and you'd spend a certain amount of money and then you'd get a bill from uh, customs and they would say, Hey, you need to pay us this much more. And so at that point you've already bought it. <laughs> you can't just say, I don't want to pay that much more. Um, so we calculate all those things in the background. Um, and 
so what originally happened, um, we, you know, the talking about the, the cameras specifically that we, uh, that we use, this is one example of a brand of cameras that we use. And as you can see, the starting price for some of these cameras is in the $40,000 range. And that doesn't include batteries. That doesn't include, um, there's $50,000 just to get three batteries for it. Um, so it gets to be very expensive very quickly. Um, and one of the issues with that is the, this is the exchange exchange rate charts for South African Rand to dollar. Um, just looking at this past month, there's been a negative almost 6% fluctuation in it. And if we look at, or sorry, not fluctuation, but that's, um, it's gone down. In the last year, it's gone up 5%. In the last two years, it's gone up 18%. Um, but sometimes uh, with very instable um, economies in this one week mark, you can see the delta of uh, the currency um, in a week can be close to 10 to 15%. Um, and sometimes it can swing upwards of 5% five, 5 in a specific day. So the reason why I say that is because when you have a $50,000 item that essentially we buy on behalf of our customers, um, we need to be able to offer them a price for this $50,000 camera um, at the time that they want to buy it. But then when you have things like credit card processing, uh, timeframes and payouts and everything, um, it becomes a little bit uh, risky to hold so much liability uh, in like a, a limbo escrow kind of thing. So we do a little bit of calculation um, to mitigate that uh, against that. But one of the big things that we had always said was we don't want to hold any stock because similarly to if we had a $50,000 camera and in a matter of a week, that $50,000 camera can be $45,000, but the people who are buying it still want to buy it for $50,000 um, or vice versa. So there's always a, a, a someone's always going to win. Someone's always going to lose when it comes to currency exchange. Um, but we, um, because we were able to get all of our data in one place, thanks to Airtable, uh, and in a place that was online and essentially in the one source of truth um, fashion, we were then able to essentially just mitigate against um, those currency fluctuations. And we rely heavily on automations to, uh, to fight against these, um, these exchange rates. So uh, another key part of our uh, of what we were trying to do was trying to figure out how do we get, um, let's just, if we look at some of these other brands, um, I mean, they have hundreds of SKUs for a specific brand. Um, and again, the value of the marketplace is to essentially list all of the products from a brand, not just the main products, because you might need right. the monitor, but then as you were saying, you might also need a whole bunch of accessories as well. And you can see here, there's mm -hmm. almost a th thousands of dollars worth of accessories that you would need for your $5,000 13-inch monitor there. Um, so a lot of people that were doing things, um, our competitors were just essentially putting the big ticket items online. And then when someone would buy a big ticket item, they would reach out and say, hey, maybe you want these things as well. Here's a quote on these things. Um, and that just takes a lot of time uh, to yeah. go back and forth. And, and so- Harder to budget as well, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, harder to budget, exactly. Um, because some people have things that they've already brought into the country, 
So even though it's a $6,000 monitor, if they brought it in a month ago, um, that $6,000 monitor to them might be a $6,500 monitor and because they brought it in at a different currency exchange rate. Um, and so they either have a choice of selling it at the current rate value and essentially losing the majority of their markup that they put on these things, marking it up more than what it actually should be worth to um, to mitigate against that, which we don't really believe in at all. So we don't mark up any of our products at all. We just take our margin from the, um, from the brands. Uh, so we just wanted to make it as transparent and as open as possible. Um, and so the reason why I was saying it's very complicated to get all these products up is you can go one by one and copy and paste descriptions and all that stuff. But um, one of the things that we've kept in our back pocket is we use various web scraping tools. Um, so we scrape uh, the manufacturer's websites. We scrape um, other marketplaces' uh, websites to get things like um, best-selling orders, to get things like to, to see if other people are running um, any sort of specials, um, all of that gets pulled into our Airtable database as well. So that if something else is essentially a best-selling item or maybe on sale in America here, um, that means that we can target um, and uh, you know market those items as well on our um, on our site uh, to be able to kind of match um, without having the actual sales data ourselves. We can kind of use the sales data from some of these larger companies. Um, to make decisions for ourselves. So, uh, as I said, we build everything on Shopify and we have since day one, um, which is pretty great. And Shopify's changed a lot. It's interesting to see how Shopify has changed um, alongside how Airtable's changed, um, two very different you know, organizations and entities, but um, uh, very similar. Um, one of the big changes that Airtable has actually implemented is um, meta fields. Um, so meta fields are pretty great now that we have them, but we didn't necessarily have them before. And so um, I wasn't able to put in, say, like a US dollar price into Shopify and then just show the conversion because the base currency of our store is in South African Rand. Um, and so the idea of doing a simple currency conversion app on Shopify wouldn't necessarily work for us as well um, because that would just show a different currency, but the base currency would still be in US dollar. And in South Africa, you have to um, legally, you have to sell in South African Rand. Um, so we couldn't sell in US dollars because we were a South African Rand store. So that led to reaching out to Fiverr to try and get people to build us macros with Excel and add-ons for Google Sheets to try and have that source of truth. Um, but then uh, at the time, that was when I met my now business partner, Core, um, and he had reached, um, he had kind of said, hey, maybe you should check out Airtable. Um, we were working in the same place together. Um, and it was right when Airtable went public or available to the public in 2015 checked it out and I was like, wow, all of a sudden I have all of this information available to me um, and I can sort things. I can, you know, I, all the value that we see in Airtable now, um, I can bring in Airtable and um, I don't have to do complicated VLOOKUPs. I don't have to do, um, to worry about field types not being 
you know, numbers or URLs and formulas and everything, or doing a formula for a whole bunch of cells and then doing, um, you know, getting one more cell or one more record that doesn't get caught by that formula. So um, that's where Airtables really come in handy. So I've kind of um, mimicked our entire uh, Shopify store in Airtable, but then um, I do things like all of our foreign exchange um, rates in Airtable. And so um, we can see that uh, earlier this morning, um, uh, my actual South African rands to dollar rates um, changes. We add 20 cents to just do a little bit of uh, mitigation against that. And then um, all of our products, um, we have products in different currencies. So we're able to do multi-currency conversions all within uh, Airtable. And then as soon as all that data changes in Airtable, it automatically gets pushed over to Shopify. Um, how do we do that? Started with Zapier uh, way back when. That was a disaster back in 2015. Um, and it turned out to be very expensive um, as well. And so that was also when we got on um, Make, uh, you know, Integromat at the time. So we've been using Integromat for about seven, eight years now as well, since it started. Um, and one of the great things is that it still costs me $9 a month um, to, to do a lot, um, a lot on, uh, on Integromat. Um, but uh, as you can see here, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of, um, not a lot, I guess, but there's a handful of automations that run. And I remember um, my, my main frustration was that I didn't have a whiteboard big enough to be able to like, you know, show how the data yeah. went from one place to ultimately getting to the store. And uh, yep. that was really when things became an aha moment was like, wow, this is like having a massive infinite whiteboard <laughs> for me. Um, so uh, one of the other fun facts, the little fun things that I had was uh, I actually, one of our biggest um, runs uh, or our biggest scenario that we, we do is, uh, let me find one of the big ones. Yeah, so there's like a pretty significant <laughs> yeah, scenario there. Um, pretty significant scenario there, but it basically takes, you know, it takes uh, scraped data. Um, I then keep track of all my, my runs as well. Um, and I do things like getting breadcrumbs to auto add tags to all of our products. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, see what's in the, in the box um, to see what accessories come with. Um, uh, highlights, get all the images of things. Uh, and then if things are available or not available on pre-order, set all my variables up and then, um, and then it goes into Shopify um, and updates. Um, the creating a meta field uh, was not a thing before. So I had to figure out workarounds for that with tags, but now I have meta fields, which is a great way to keep things organized. Um, so what I was going to say is this, essentially this scenario here was a big kind of core part to how we were able to get products up online as fast as we could. Um, and so essentially I would be on a, a call with a new vendor or a new manufacturer and say, listen, like by the time we're done with this phone call, I can have all of your products with all of the information about your products up on our website available for sale. Um, and of course they wouldn't believe me because they just thought that we were copying and pasting things from their websites mm -hmm. or we were using data that they were going to send to us, but everyone's data was structured in different ways or they didn't yeah. actually have any sort of structured data at all. 
which I was like blown away by when I was like, send me a product list with descriptions and photos and this and that. And it was all just so many different ways they were doing it. And so I found that just scraping their actual website was significantly faster <laughs> to get all the information I needed. Um, and so, sorry, this was... Yeah. But these vendors don't have a public API that's like, yeah, let of me course. make a make a pull request for the information that I need. No, you, yeah. you do have to do, as you said, either one by one going to these product pages and copying what you need and downloading the images, uploading them somewhere else, or you use a, a web scraper and a series of make automations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um and so and I do, uh, yeah. just before I forget, I have noticed for both Airtable and for Make, you have a floating blue documentation button. I've seen that product before. Uh, I forget what it's called. Can you please, for the audience? Of course. Um, so NC, uh, NC Scale, right? Um, yeah. NC Scale is uh, a, an interesting way. I'm actually just only now starting to play around with it. Um, so it hasn't been a part of my tech stack for a while. Um, but what's incredible is that I can load up um, different organizations uh, and then I can connect in my Airtable, my Make. Um, there's a whole bunch of tools you can connect up um, that uh, all kind of relate to whatever you want it to relate to. And then you can monitor um, you can monitor things. So if I were to essentially go into um, my ETL, uh, I can see previous runs, I can see um, they're all running at the moment, which is great. So I can see um, this screen here um, shows me that it's running as well as a pretty incredible thing, which is um, you can see who and what um, fields actually change. Uh, so for instance, in Airtable, if I were to, um, I'll do it right now, actually, if I were to, um, let me just see if I can add a new, let me add a new thing and then just put it on air. Oh, we are locked. This is, <laughs> um, I need to be a different user to be able to add that. But uh, let's see if that works. Um, so force updates, updates every 30, 30 minutes, right? 30 minutes, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it'll scan my, uh, the whole arc, um, the whole structure. Um, and that is in my Forex table. And after this is done, it'll basically say that my user has added a new record in this table. Or if I were to actually go through and change, for instance, this markup, um, if I were to change that, um, those changes would get recorded here as well as you can kind of write your documentation or write your readmes for um, tables, for um, different scenarios and make or Zapier. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a really incredible tool actually. Um, and then you can, there's a couple, yeah, these, these monitoring tabs as well. Um, let's see, okay, here's some of those logs I was talking about. Um, yeah, so you can see all these different, um, all these different uh, scenarios that were triggered. Um, so. It's kind of similar to having essentially your like home dashboard here in make, um, but you can have from different sources all in one place. So it's pretty cool. The guys are, the guy who built it is ridiculously smart <laughs> and, very, and it's very good and very stable. So. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I had seen it just sort of around and I hadn't used it because like 
um, for this perfect use case example where you have um, a product that you're delivering to the world, um, an e-commerce mm-hmm. site for film gear, and it is using multiple different services in order to provide film gear, mm-hmm. right? So Airtable's involved, Makes involved, Shopify's involved, you have a web scraper, and probably not all of the tools that you're using are you know, available in NC scale, but you would be able to sort of write little notes about what's connected to what and why. Yeah. Documentation is very difficult for large builds <laughs> like this because, you know, where do you put it? You could do a mirror board and those are great for visual, but in terms of keeping track of, you know, we we need a whole new table. Right now I got to go update my board. Something like this yeah. seems like it'd be useful to be, um, you know, just to do it for you for any time you make a new make scenario. I imagine it would show up eventually in there after it's. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a simple Chrome plug, uh, plugin as well. Um, mm-hmm. So you can essentially just make sure that your stakeholders have that Chrome plugin installed. And then it gives them this button automatically on Airtable, on Make. Um, and so you can kind of just confidently know that if you, if they have, if they can see that button, uh, or you can ask your stakeholders, like, can you see the documentation button? And if they can't, um, make sure they have the Chrome extension. If they can, then you can kind of just say, well, then click the documentation button. <laughs> and, uh, um, so. Very cool, Rob. I'm going yeah. to jump in here just so we have time for Allie, but uh, Take over. This, this is awesome. Um, so now you are partnered. You mentioned you're partnered with Core. And they yeah. can, people can find you at prettysim.pl. Yeah, prettysim.pl. Yeah, Core and I. Yeah. So way back in my origin story of getting involved, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he and I were always throwing ideas back and forth and everything. And I've since taken a break and taken a step back from the, the film industry and gone, uh, kind of no code consulting, uh, full time. So yeah, Core and I work together. Very cool. So yeah, check them out. Pretty simple. Cool. And, uh, I don't know if we've had core on the show, but we know core He's a friend mm-hmm. of the community friend of the show. He is yep. a friend. We need to have him on. He's a, he he's still in South Africa. You're you're here yeah. in Houston, so different times. The, the timing never worked. I think we asked him, and it, it's a very different time for him right yeah. now. Yeah, uh, we can peer pressure him. He'll be he's he's definitely malleable. Yeah. So, thank you. Appreciate you yeah, showing you. that. That's awesome. Uh, it's so cool to see how Airtable runs a business like that and keeps it going. So. Real quick, before we uh, finish out with our last segment, just a, just a way to join the community, go to builtonair.com slash join. That will get you into the Slack community and meet amazing, great people all doing things with Airtable. Okay, Ali, finish us off with synced field types. Awesome. All right. So this is just a really quick little demo. Um, on a feature that I don't think is used super often, but I've been using it more and more, which is pretty cool. So this is a base, it's all fake data in here. Um, I haven't actually touched this in a while, but I'm using it as an example. So I've got two tables in here that are linked together, um, expenses, and I'm linking each of those expense records to a a uh, record on my table called monthly. So each of these represents one month of the calendar year. Um, if for whatever reason I need to sync these out to a different base to like maybe do some reporting, um, 
create some dashboards or for, you know, there might be a million different reasons why you sync these out somewhere else. Um, there is some cool little tricks that you can actually do once you have that table as a synced table. So here I've synced over both the expenses table and the months table. And everything just by default comes in as single line text, most of them. Um, some of the field types do hold out like the dates and currencies. Um, but what's really, really cool is I can actually now change these field types to whatever I want. Now, you might not need to do this, but there's some little tricks that you can actually take advantage of once you have these synced out to a new base. So for example, in my expenses table, I have this big complicated formula here that's like, is it paid? Did I pay it on time? Did I pay it? Uh, did I not pay it? Is it overdue? Is it an upcoming thing? All that kind of stuff. And I've got little emojis to kind of, you know, call out whether it's important or not. But in my synced base, I can actually change this to a single select. So if I have, um, you know, charts that I'm pulling off of this in an interface, I went over once upon a time on an episode how to have a single select driven by a formula field using automations. So that way you can set up the colors that you want and have your interface charts look really pretty. But this is actually a, just a shortcut way of doing it. So here I can actually go and now change my colors to whatever I want. And that will change as the formula is updated in the other base. So if I go oh. and say, say I paid this one now for Comcast, right? Let's just put in, I paid it way over three years late. Um, but now that actually updated to paid as well. So that'll stay up to date, but I can have pretty colors. Um, so that's a little trick that I use pretty often. If I'm syncing over a table to a new base, this is a really cool trick to get um, pretty colors in your reporting dashboards. It also makes filtering a lot easier with single select because it's defined values rather than a loose formula output, which could be anything. Yeah, and so now you'd be able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very, very useful. Very useful. <laughs> As opposed to awesome. previously, I would have needed to write um, you know, contains paid or whatever. Yeah. Um, obviously not for that field, but absolutely, Camille. Yeah, that's a hugely um, beneficial um, output of that as well. Um, the second thing, just for the sake of time, I could keep going forever, but um, now because I have these two tables synced over and in the other base, the source base, these records are actually linked together, right? Now, I've also gone over in a previous episode how to keep two tables linked together when, once you sync them over to a new base. Um, and if they're records like where, you know, maybe you've got people and interactions or something like that, I would still recommend going about it in a different manner with an automation and finding record IDs and stuff like that, which I can get into another time. But because this is a very simple relationship, like I know on my months table, I'm not going to have duplicates. I'm, I only have one January 2020 and I can trust myself to know that I'm not going to end up with two um, versions of that. I can actually now go and change this to a linked record field. 
and link it up to the months table. And this will keep up to date. Um, I don't have July 2025, 2023 in here. Um, and I haven't actually played with what that does. But if I did, um, I don't have really a ton of time. I know we're over here. But basically, that'll keep it up to date. So if I went into my expenses and I changed this to um, not January, but let's say February, this first record here should change. Come on. There we go. There we go. Nice. So that does stay up to date as you make changes in your other base. Um, lots of really cool things. So that saves you on automation. So you don't need to, you know, have something running to check this field to link it up to another one and all that kind of stuff. Um, so really cool tricks that you can use when changing the field type. Um, last thing I'll show is actually you can do that same thing, even if you don't have two synced tables. I've got year here, but if I want to actually create a table of years, then I can do the same thing and create a new table. And now I have a new table of my year values. Sweet. And that'll stay up to date as well. So really cool uh, little tricks you can use there. That's very cool. Good stuff. Thank you, Ali. Very, very you, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those are good tricks. Awesome. Thank you all for coming on the show. And we will see everybody next week. Until then, for in honor of Rob for the film industry, we'll say that that's a wrap for today. Hey. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Bye. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, ontair.com, and we will see you next time on the Built on Air podcast. <laughs>